Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today, we're going to be talking about WGA results, Falcon and Winter Soldier numbers, and the state of HBO Max 10 months into its experiment. Post Snyder Cut. <laughs> Just set the table. Set the table for another edition of uh, how many streaming services can you will you buy with $45? Ben, Snyder Cut. Good movie or great TV show? I feel like every time you give me options, they're <laughs> both unacceptable. Just tell him, fuck you, Dune. <laughs> this is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Libby, Sunday were the WGA Awards, and as you wrote about on the site, uh, The Crown and Ted Lasso continue their unending march towards the Emmys. Uh, Queen's Gambit also picked up a win. Uh, there were some notable sort of like, I would call them underdogs. The great one for episodic comedy, Desus Amaro, uh, finally uh, dethroned John Oliver in Comedy Variety. And Ben's favorite, At Home with Amy Sedaris, won for uh, Variety Sketch. Um, Sick. But I just wanted to she get had a your... Great, she had a great, uh, just weird enough acceptance speech. It was very nice. Uh, you would have been proud, Ben. But Libby, what else can you say that you haven't already said in, in, in the piece you wrote, but like about the three the three big shows are 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 they unstoppable i mean i i i hate to say it emmy races are locked up in march because that's <laughs> just the the road to making you look like an idiot but at the same time like it's entirely possible that september comes and the crown and ted lasso win their top respective uh categories it's not as locked up i think for me for queen's gambit the love for that show is very intense but you haven't continued to hear about it as much and i think when it comes down to it there will be more recent limited series in voters minds i'm not saying the queen's gambit won't get nominated i just don't know that it's as much as well it's uh a lock right now it's the front runner but anything could happen ted lasso and the crown are obviously getting nominated and are at this point very difficult to imagine someone upsetting we still have three whole months of Emmy season left. A quarter of the season is left. We There is still plenty of TV that we know about and that we don't know, know about that will debut within uh, the eligibility period. So nothing is locked up except uh, drama series and comedy series, pretty locked up. <laughs> I, I also think it would be, it's very difficult for me to imagine someone beating Sudeikis in lead comedy actor. It just seems... It just seems right. He's had a tough year. Uh, I think he's well-liked within the industry. Uh, he's, he's Ted Lasso was really the entire show. Um, if, if that character doesn't work, then, then it, none of it works. So, linchpin character, great performance, well-liked actor. And the show is, is unstoppable at this point. So, I don't know, nothing new, nothing particularly surprising but plenty to keep an eye on. It should be noted, I think you wrote this in your piece, that Ted Lasso could have won three. It won Best New Series and Best Comedy Series, but didn't win Episodic Comedy. As I mentioned, The Great took home that award. Um, That wasn't super surprising. That's uh, The Great, obviously, was created and written by Tony McNamara. He also was nominated for the Academy Award for his script for The Favorite, 
which also starred Nicholas Holt, that just his his scripts are very clever. He's a he's a great writer. Um, and he definitely is a, a very particular style. So it's not a big surprise. If you look at the nominees in the episodic categories, they are very, often very different than what it, what got nominated in series. So I'm not sure why or how that happens. But yeah, I do want to say shout out to Bojack Horseman, which won for animated for the episode Xerox of the Xerox. You know, we lost Bojack last year and it came out and then six, uh, five weeks. So six weeks later, we were in lockdown. And and I think in in all of that fervor, we kind of lost that back half of that second uh, final season. So it's just, it's nice to see someone remember the series. Uh, and that was a great episode. So yeah, good things happen. Well, moving on to uh, some other news, Disney announced uh, over the weekend that Falcon and Winter Soldier's premiere had bigger numbers than The Mandalorian and WandaVision. Granted, there are no actual numbers. That's just them telling us that it was bigger, right? It's just like, hey, this was more popular than these other popular shows. FYI. Uh, ben, you, you, reviewed, you reviewed the premiere. Um, what do you think about this announcement? And what do you think about the show? Wow. Well, I mean, two great questions, Leo. Uh, to address the first one first, the announcement is hilarious uh, because uh, I got the official release. There are literally no numbers. There's there's nothing even to kind of qualify what's happening. Like Because I do feel like one of the more important things to, to think about is that Disney Plus is gaining subscribers fairly steadily. So there's literally more people watching or at least able to watch with each subsequent release so you know fuck when when did mandalorian premiere like november october 2020 so in the in the last six months they've gained at least you know 10 million subscribers like they've gained that many different people so even if they're attracting the exact same audience for each one of these marquee originals it just should go without saying like it it would almost be very strange it would be a big disappointment if one of the if the newer entry came in lower on the list and yet at the same time uh literally within minutes of disney plus sending that uh release out i got another release from our friends at real good who use their own metrics to gauge the most successful superhero opening weekends uh, in recent memory. Uh, And they said that WandaVision's premiere was higher rated, more watched, had higher viewership than uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is number two, Wonder Woman 84, which is number three, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is down at number four. Now, granted, only two of those are uh, Disney Plus shows, but it's literally saying the exact opposite of what the Disney release is saying. So no one has verification. Nobody's supporting anything. This is all guesswork. It's all meant to be put out there to tell you that these are successful properties, and that's what Disney needs to convey. Um, As for the show, it's fine. It's very fine. It is a buddy action show with hints at more depth that i'm afraid too afraid to cling on to uh too afraid to expect them to deepen and continue as the series goes along knowing what happened the last time i got my hopes up uh with the marvel thing uh so it's very fun um i will watch it 
And that's about all there is to say. I don't know. There's a great scene with Sebastian Stan and a, and a waving cat. I yeah. love that. That was wonderful. More of that, please. Uh, more of uh, Anthony Mackie getting denied bank loans and drawing attention to our mistreatment of veterans, especially uh, black American veterans. So if they continue those things, it could be a truly good show as opposed to just a fine show that is enjoyable. I will say, I wish I had seen the pilot before uh, we went out on Junket questions, because I definitely would have had Kristen ask Harry Scogland, uh, why does he leave the seafood out in the bed of the truck? It's a big problem. It's That's a big, a big question. Some, like, someone made a mistake. Uh, ben, not to get into uh, a war of fake numbers, but uh, Variety's <sighs> reporting that uh, a data analysis firm called Samba TV oh, yes. un- announced that Falcon and Winter Soldier had 1.7 households watching the show, which is more than the 1.6 households that watched the debut of WandaVision, but less than the 1.8 million households that watched at least five minutes of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Again, uh, nothing can be trusted. Um, It's all a mess. I I would also point out that as important as opening weekends are and as, and, and as important as getting the word out as soon as possible about whether or not your show is considered a quote-unquote success uh, is to the marketing campaign, uh, this isn't how you measure TV anymore. Like, this isn't how we measure the success of a show. It's the, the Live Plus 7 has been kind of the, the standard low benchmark for, for how long you want to wait to see how many people are watching. And when you've got something like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, even when you've got something like WandaVision, as we've talked about in the past, you know, there's a substantial portion of the audience who are just very happy to wait until it's all out and they'll watch it all at once or at least wait until they've got three episodes at a time or four episodes at a time until they're comfortable. Um, So it's going to be a long game to really learn how successful the show is. And one of the things that's interesting to me about Falcon and the Winter Soldier as opposed to WandaVision was WandaVision did have the added immediacy of, of that buzz factor uh, because it made you guess at something just about every episode. There were teases and Easter eggs and uh, you know cliffhangers that really you know forced the audience into a guessing game and theorizing and, and coming up with different ideas of what could come next. Whereas Falcon and the Winter Soldier, at least in the pilot uh, or premiere, I should say, um, it's doesn't it's not designed the same way. It's it's kind of giving you the fix that you crave and then leaving you satisfied until next week where it will give you your fix again. And I think that both are very sustainable business models. Uh, both can lead to, you know, very successful runs of each of the shows, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw less kind of buzz centric, grabby headline guessing stuff as winter soldier rolls out so that it feels, you know, to, to, you know, the, the Twitter verse or, or the people on the internet or, or just the public in general, that WandaVision had more of an impact simply because of the way it was built. Um, that doesn't make one better than the other. And again, it, it shouldn't factor into how we guess which one was wider seen. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that kind of maneuvering shifts as the new episodes roll out and we learn more about what the show is really going to be. I will say I was a little taken aback by the fact that the, the premiere did not feature Falcon and Winter Soldier in the same location. <laughs> Yeah, that was a, a very felt, strange. When you only have six episodes, very strange to spend one sixth of your time with your titular duo not in the same location. I felt a little weird mentioning that in the review, but it did feel like it wasn't spoilery, and it was something that maybe people would want to know ahead of time so that they didn't get their hopes up. 
about the about the Brodown. But at, at the same time, I do think the episode itself works the way it is. Like I think establishing you know their individual backstories and their individual aims, and you can kind of see how they're gonna come together. Not only for practicality's purpose of defeating the bad guy, but for you know supporting each other and what they both need individually. Um, you know that all makes sense and. Like you said, with only six episodes, I don't think we'll have to wait much longer for them to have their banter, but uh, we'll see. I have to imagine it'll happen fairly soon into the second episode. Uh, if Place your wait- bets. How many more minutes until <laughs> Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan fist bump or right. elbow bump or... Seven kiss? minutes. Seven minutes into the second episode is my guess. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 17 minutes until they meet. 24 minutes until they kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think it'll be a slow burn. I think they'll meet in minute 12. Wait, mm-hmm. Leo, what'd you say? I said seven. I think there'll be like two, two setup scenes of, there'll be a setup scene that requires the other one reaching out to the other one. And then a, a setup scene where that other person is doing whatever it is they're doing, likely winter soldier. And then they'll come know. together I'll, in a third scene. Yeah. I'll say 12. And then for kissing, I'll say uh, minute 37 of episode five. Episode five. Wow, the penultimate. Yeah, that would be big. I mean, that would really, that would really elevate the stakes as they head into the climax. So I like that. that would, I'd be fine with that. Well, speaking of 1.8 million people watching at least five minutes of the Snyder Cut... We're ten, we're 10 months into this experiment of HBO Max and just wanted to, to touch on some things. Obviously, today they announced that in 2022, they will uh, go back to a theater-first model with a 45-day window before uh, those films can appear on HBO Max and or VOD. And then additionally, we saw the, the launch of Snyder Cut over the weekend to much fanfare. Ben, you were part of a four-person IndieWire panel discussing the positives and negatives i'm not quite sure how what what the the uh technically we were discussing the the anticipated legacy of the snyder cut Ah, and uh what kind of effects it would it would have on uh society at at large (laughs) um but uh yeah that was the thing that we did and additionally last week after we recorded last week's episode came news that hbo was developing three more game of thrones spinoffs 10,000 ships about nymeria sand and the founding of dorn nine voyages about someone called the sea snake and uh <laughs> an as of yet untitled project about the flea bottom area of king's landing where uh the horse yeah where, where gendry and davo seaworth the the onion knight were born uh do i know too much about game of thrones yeah what the hell's going yes. on right now but yeah, you should always continue to emphasize the way you do. Why? <laughs> Game of Thrones? <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot happening over at, at Warner. Uh, I, I know that the three of us have sort of been the big proponents of uh, HBO Max rollout while Rocky without having a, a Roku app and, and, and such. And there being some confusion about the multiple products, HBO Now, HBO Go, HBO Max. We all three of us are on the record of stating that if you if you need one, this one is is up there, if not the one to get, due to their amazing library content and the continued great content they put out on a year to year basis that you get access to. 
And I think a lot of people get hung up on the what's an HBO Max original versus what's an HBO original, not realizing that the prices are the same and you get both. Yeah, that we're in a we're in a nice transitionary period where they're introducing a new service and combining that service with a legacy brand and trying to honor both of those things at the same time. So expansion takes time. Like it just it it just we got to get used to things and and that's going to be the way it is for a while. Um, but yeah, like you said, I the the legacy content alone is is just unbelievable. The fact that I could just flip on Mildred Pierce at any point at any time is an invaluable part of the HBO Max package and uh, I will not take it for granted. Guys, what if Flea Bottom, the Flea Bottom show is just like uh, Deadwood, but in Game of Thrones universe? I'm on board. Are they going to bring in Timmy? I thought Timmy was going to be busy. Yeah, Timmy's been busy. We didn't talk I about him in the clicker. Busy. Guys, we, we didn't talk about him in the clicker. Fine. I don't know if Timmy's busy. <laughs> But I, that's, I mean, as the Mandalorian showed, if you bring in Timmy, you're going to get my viewership. So, uh, The Justified Riders and the FX team team up for a new Elmore Leonard drama. <laughs> that was going to be a clicker we, topic, but Libby brought it in to the meet. One that we, we don't know if Timothy Oliphant is involved or not. Yes, There's we don't know. that he is. Unconfirmed. I'm sorry. If he is, could be as a series regular, could be as a guest star. We don't know. It's all just deep, deep breaths. I mean, library content is huge. I feel like 80% of my pandemic, like the, my rewatches or like new watches have been HBO shows that like I just want to watch again or I had never watched and I want to just catch up on. Yeah, I, w- I would also say that just in terms of in terms of how HBO Max is perceived right now, I think it's it's I think there's enough to warrant, you know, uh, kind of successful idea of the service in its entirety at the moment the the subscriber numbers are up their uh their projections are up in terms of what they hope to you know what their subscriber number hopes to be in the next you know four to five years they're feeling optimistic about it and the 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 tricky part for me i guess at this point is seeing the value in something like a justice league snyder cut i think in terms of all of the uh, immensely horrible things that are attached to that campaign in the real world. Uh, if you're even if you're able to set that stuff aside, the monetary value to me becomes a huge question. If only because this isn't a creator that they're trusting to make future installments. So this is a very much a limited series, one-off kind of thing. And while that fits in with their branding of releasing movies, uh, you know, big screen movies, big feature, high budget. Uh, you know, theater quality, quote unquote, movies once a month, straight to streaming, same time as theaters. Um, I don't know if the value of it is the same. I don't know if, you know, this isn't something that they would have screened in theaters. This isn't something that, you know, has the the enduring appeal of a, of a Kong versus Godzilla for a wide body of, of viewers. And at the cost, like reportedly $70 million dollars, for four hours, you're talking about seventeen and a half million dollars an hour, which is more than most people are willing to spend on, you know, their most highly valued original series, and that's not what this is. So, I I'm very curious about whether or not the Snyder Cup is something that gained viewers, gained subscribers, and put enough positive energy out into the world for it to be an actual successful launch in terms of HBO Max. I think the exposure that it got, the publicity that it got, and that it continues to get is obviously 
a good thing for the service and, and part of that aforementioned winning persona that they've got like just that they're they're throwing so much at you that it feels like hbo max is always being discussed and that's important at the moment um but i still i still think that you know obviously them building out their game of thrones universe them coming out with uh different ways to sustain viewers is the more important strategy than the one-offs even if it's a weekly basis as opposed to you know an all-at-once drop um and we're just gonna have to wait and see what those originals become like what those if they can continue to produce enough of those must-see original series uh that they've you know that hbo built its brand on for decades Ben, just to dig into numbers, you, you're right. They, they did say that they've upped what their goals are for 2025 to get to 120 million, between 120 million and 150 million global subscribers. They plan to get to at least 70 million by the end of 2021, which is uh, ahead of what they originally uh, projected. So I guess they are growing in, in that amount. Uh, you brought up, we were discussing the, the sort of day and date thing. We brought this up before, but the fact that like for $15 a month, essentially, you get one of their films that is simultaneously being released in theaters. And after that month of that windowing where it's on HBO Max, it goes to VOD. If you didn't watch Little Things when it was on HBO Max, it's now $20 VOD for a rental. So it's one of those things where like, at least for 2021, it almost seems like if you want to watch movies and content, you should probably just subscribe to HBO Max. <laughs> If you, I mean, considering they've given you the slate, considering you know exactly what movies are coming out and that you'll be paying for, that seems like a very practical way for you to look at it and just say, okay, can I commit to this for a year? Um, and they are, you know, I think they still are offering discounted rates if you commit to a longer term than just a month by month rollout, but they definitely did before. You know, so that's that's absolutely something to, to factor into where you're putting your streaming money and how you, you know, uh, how you budget and, and what's of value to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that I think is probably going to be a big talking point for HBO Max in the coming months is when they launch their ad-based version of the service where you can you know watch a lot of the original programming, if not all of the original programming, with ads involved um, for a lower subscription fee. And whether or not that meshes with what people really value in their HBO Max subscription uh, you know, whether they allow you to watch legacy programming with commercials added in, like it would be very weird to see The Sopranos with commercials. Like I just, I, I'm sure that there's ways to do it, obviously, but it, it would be odd. Um, and how that kind of gels with also, uh, you know, just an accessible family-friendly kind of atmosphere. Like if that's going to be their, their, you know, modus operandi for the service itself, just how they kind of roll it out and what they roll it out with will be, um, will be very interesting, but definitely opening up a, a new avenue for subscriber growth. So, and the the their international raw it's going to be important. One of the things that doesn't get talked about enough with the Disney Plus success is that I think it's a quarter of their subscribers are through you know like international subscription service called Star, which actually you know it costs much less than a typical Disney plus subscription here in the States. So they're making less money off of those subscribers than they are off of United States subscribers or other international subscribers. Um, so it's, it, part of it is just getting yourself out there and, and giving people the opportunity to, to see what you're cooking and to try it out and see if that's something that works with them. Um, I think part of it is going to be transparency and, and letting people know 
what's coming as well as what you've got and whether it's leaving or whether it's permanently staying. As of now, yeah, I still think HBO Max is great. It's still the only place to watch The Leftovers. And he got it in. If you were wondering <laughs> if he would mention The Leftovers, wonder no, long, no wonder no longer. He, he got it in. That's why I need to put, you and I need to put bets on privately. Yeah. When, when will Ben... Before we start recording. When will Ben mention The Leftovers on this podcast recording? Libby, Kong v. Godzilla. We've... we've we spent enough time dilly-dallying on the podcast. Uh, we created an entire segment about the state of HBO Max, literally just to get to Kong v. Godzilla. Yes! A week from today, Kong oh v. Godzilla will drop on HBO Max. It goes without saying, all three of us are very, very excited. Uh, I plan on watching all three movies in, over the weekend to catch myself up to the Kong v. Godzilla experience. But uh, I, guess, I guess tying it in, do you think Kong v. Godzilla will have a bigger effect than Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League? On me, personally? I yeah. do. <laughs> I do. It Thank already you for has. asking. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't... If Kong v. Godzilla was going to have a bigger impact, we'd never hear it because uh, the audience wouldn't be as vocal as whatever that Snyder Cut audience was. That said, I don't know. I... Right now, it feels like people aren't as excited about Kong v. Godzilla as we are, partially because we are very excited. But also, I just, I'm not, I'm not seeing the chatter. I, admittedly, I haven't been on Twitter much, but I don't know. Are other people anticipating it the way we are, that TV movie? I see a lot of chatter, especially whenever they drop, when they drop the new trailers, it generates a whole other cycle of buzz. Uh, I, I, and I, you know, just tangentially, the people that I talk to, like if I mentioned if I mentioned some TV shows, they usually glaze over and they're like, uh-huh, yeah, I'll get to that. I, th- I think I heard of that. That sounds like something. If I mention Kong versus Godzilla, they're like, oh fuck, yes, I have opinions about this. Let's get into it. Yes, like, okay, cool. Um, but I, I I do think that you know Libby and Leo, after what you just said, there is that same kind of potential. Like when when Justice League Snyder Cut launched. There were a lot of DCEU properties on HBO Max, and it was a good reminder for everybody like, hey, okay, you just watched the Snyder Cut. Are you insane and you want to watch the the Whedon Cut right now? It's right here. You can do that. Oh, do you want to just like see the prequel before you dig in? You can watch Batman versus Superman. Go ahead. That's right here, too. We also have Suicide Squad and all these other DC movies. You know, it's a hub. It's right here. HBO Max. Great. You've got it. And it works that way for Kong versus Godzilla, too. Like, they, they will get people to do exactly what Leo's doing in anticipation. And hopefully, if they like what they see, they could have people go back and rewatch those movies and help build that franchise. And it all exists to, to help the same people, to help the same group, to help Warner Media, Warner Brothers Films, and HBO Max. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that those that way to eventize something is getting more and more popular these days. And it helps with the anticipation. It helps to understand um, you know, what you're about to watch as well as you know the thing that you're paying for the value behind it first things first it is not insane to watch the original weed and the theatrical cut of justice league before watching snyder cut did i spend six hours over the course of essentially 12 hours watching both those things you bet i did because i want to see what the hell was changed hey i'm sorry what's the part that wasn't insane about that nothing's insane about that we Uh, gotta have a talk buddy (laughs) great uh and i will note that unfortunately Godzilla 2014 is not on HBO Max. No. They took it off. You can only what? watch you can only watch King of Monsters 
You can only watch King of Monsters and Kong uh, Skull Island, unfortunately. So Uh, wait, where's Godzilla? I'm checking. It's it's not on HBO Max. But uh, to a similar point, HBO Dune, the original Dune, not the original, I guess, uh, (laughs) however you define original Dune, David Lynch's Dune is on HBO Max. So if you wanted to watch that before uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, you could also do that in a similar fashion and see what has changed uh, over the course of the past 30-some years. Anyway, we've been talking about Godzilla vs. Kong. We're going to talk more about Godzilla vs. Kong next week because both Ben and Libby have strong opinions one way or the other on who they support on this collision course. But we wanted to pose this question to you, our audience. Uh, we'll have polls on uh, Instagram and Twitter about these about this question, which is, uh, where are you going to watch Kong v. Godzilla are you going to watch it at home on HBO Max? Are you going to watch it in theaters? Now that theaters are opening more uh, readily across the country. Uh, we all saw Chris Nolan sit down for Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, an HBO Max film that went off of the, went off of the streamer, as Libby said I last week. I that's why he was in the theater. Five, five hours after it was nominated for uh, Best Picture. and uh, Or are you not going to watch it all? Because in Ben's words, you are a dumb, dumb head. Or in Libby's words... Fuck you, Dune. Fuck, fuck you. Give me Dune. Fuck you, Dune. Where is Dune? I want to watch Dune. Um, but yeah, we'll have that poll on social. But yeah, you, could, you can reach out. You can comment on that and say why, why you're watching it, where you're watching it. And whose team are you on? Probably have that. If you want to include that, include that. Millions of Screens is a production of Pensy Media Corporation Anywhere. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork Talking About TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Editor-in-Chief is Dana Harris Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite superhero movie bro-ships, or bro-downs, as Ben mentioned earlier, are Captain America and Bucky, the aforementioned Stucky, Thor and the Hulk, Thor Ragnarok, and Batman and the Joker, notable bros. They love to <laughs> hang out. Known. Known bros. Known hey, bros. they hate each other. You gotta make room for the couple that really just is good at fighting. Uh, a big comics bro down is uh, Cable and Deadpool, which was, they, they did include that in Deadpool too, but that's a big, uh, big comics, comics, I don't know if it's a bro ship, but it's uh, just bro downs. Uh, IndieWire's Millions of Screens endorses Sam and Bucky kissing. I'm also point out that. jealous. I'd also point out that it's it's if you really want to think of a of the ideal way in which Batman and Joker bro down, it's Batman the animated series. I know that's not a movie. There is Batman Mask the Phantasm, so that's that kind of works. But uh, but I really think their relationship is is perfected in that in that show. Like they really show how they're connected on a way deeper than uh, you know hero and enemy. Sure. The Batman the animated series. My favorite part of that is that. Batman's voice is the voice he uses with Alfred when he's Bruce Wayne. And the voice that he puts on is the Bruce Wayne voice. As opposed to every other iteration of Batman where Bruce, Bruce Wayne is his normal voice. And Batman, he puts on an affectation. In the animated series, scary voice is his normal voice. It's almost like that's the kind of uh, important character note you only get from talented voice actors. Who are like really paying attention to, oh, what would what would he actually do in this scenario? Oh, it would be that. Makes sense. I believe that's Kevin Conroy. You, only uh, you can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and Leo Agent Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on the air. Answer our poll. 
If you're still listening, answer yes. our poll. Yes. This has been Libby poll. and Leo. Remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> <laughs>